Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings and welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, Damian Mason. You heard all that in the introduction. Got a great episode for you today because I've got two great guests. That's right. We're talking about creating opportunities, profitable opportunities out here in the in the in the agricultural marketplace. And I've got two guys that are going to explain to you how they've created profitable opportunities through a bit of marketing, entrepreneurialism, forward thinking, and finding niches. They are the Hitsfield brothers with Seven Sons Farms in Roanoke, Indiana, not too far from my own farm. And we're going to be covering all that stuff, giving you great ideas that you can use. These guys are an open book. They've done very, very well, and they don't think that they necessarily need to keep it a secret. Uh, Before we get to the Bryce and Blaine Hitsfield, I want to remind you that this episode of the Business of Agriculture, like so many before it, is brought to you by Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit is a software solution that your agricultural enterprise can benefit from. A software solution that helps your agricultural enterprise be what it's supposed to be, profitable. Go to harvestprofit.com and get your free 14-day trial. Okay. Bryce and Blaine Hitchfield, just so you know, dear listener or viewer, yes, I said viewer, because they not only are an audio podcast where you get your audio podcast, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, you can view these at the Damian Mason channel. Simply go to YouTube and type in Damian Mason channel. There you'll find the Business of Agriculture and the Do Business Better podcast. Please hit subscribe. It won't cost you nothing and you'll get great content like this. Bryce and Blaine Hitsfield are two of seven brothers with this Hitsfield family. They've been on my radar for a while. I know who they are. They kind of know who I am. We're not too far apart geographically, but I've always thought, man, they got a neat little thing going over there. Time to bring them on the Business of Agriculture podcast. Bryce, welcome to the show. Thanks, Damien. Glad to be here. And you know why I started with you, Bryce? Because you're younger and I'm the youngest of nine kids. And I know what being a big family is like. It's always like the, hey, Bob, Joe, Tom. It's like, no, Damien. Okay. Mom, it's Damien. Yep. Anyway, so that's why I'm starting with you, Bryce. uh, And then brother Blaine, older brother, but not oldest, right? Correct. Second youngest. Glad to be here. All right. So uh, they head up different parts of the operation. So what we're going to do is give a little background about Hitsfield's uh, farming operation background overview so we can just start there. Because just, you know, dear listener, they didn't start with 10,000 acres of prime prairie grandpa's land in central Illinois. They started with not much and said, how can we be more profitable with what we got? So let's go ahead and just give me some background. Bryce, you want to roll with it? Bryce, Bryce, roll with it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Blaine. Um, Yeah, so really, gosh, we got started, let's see, that was back in 2001 is when the Seven Sons business was was established. But uh, um, really, probably all really got, my my parents or my dad really was, you know, he grew up excavating actually. And uh, with my grandpa, back in the, I want to say back in the eighties is when he got into to agriculture. And, uh, he was actually, uh, we were actually conventional, uh, I guess it'd be, uh, 
uh, we were running a, a confinement hog operation and we're farming about blend was around 1200 acres of row crops, I believe. It landed between a thousand to 1200 acres. And then we had the 200 uh, head Pharaoh to finish hog operation at that mm-hmm. time. So, Pretty standard yeah. thing, of course, getting into it in the eighties. I hope to goodness you waited until about 82 or three, because getting in in 1980 or 81 meant that you just took a whole bunch of money and, and, and just basically threw mm-hmm. it out the window because we all know what happened in the eighties. Go ahead. Yep. 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 So then my mom, actually, she, uh, in 90 and 92, when she had me, and by the way, there are seven, there are seven brothers total. So it goes, goes down the list, Blake, Blaine, Bryce, Brock, Brooks, Bruce, Brant. So my parents really wanted to confuse, confuse everyone. But after, (laughs) after having me, uh, my mom was, was diagnosed with, uh, with rheumatoid arthritis. And her health quickly just went downhill. Um, she was told within within five years she'll uh, she'll be in a wheelchair and she won't have she won't have it uh, she won't have any more kids. The whole nine yards. Well, so that kind of my mom, you know, kind of set out on this journey to you know uh, you know figure out what what on earth is going on. Why why am I sick at this age? What what is it? I you know, what, what's happening. So, and they had her on a lot of medication, the whole nine yards and the more research my mom did, she figured out, you know, that a lot of this feels like has to do with food. You know, you are what you eat. So, you know, my mom, you know, immediately changed her diet and, uh, you know, within a couple of years, just turned completely around, obviously had more, more kids yet. And, uh, um, let's see. So that was, probably in the early nineties when, uh, you know, we were kind of figuring out that, or my mom was figuring out, man, maybe possibly we might be a part of this problem, you know? And so we, um, so we started transition transitioning in the early nineties, you know, getting out, start tearing up some of the cornfields, bean fields, planting on the grass and start getting cattle, the whole nine yards and started, you know, more of the direct, direct marketing route with a, with an on-farm store was originally where we so you're just a little kid. So you're not doing this. This is parents and parents yeah. still have a side business. Are they still running excavation and doing other business and doing this on the side? Or they say, no, man, we're going to go full tilt. Dad, dad, Bryce, I'll, cause you're, you're so young at this time. Dad was still working excavating at that time. So the typical side business um, added on to the farm uh, as well. But I think mm-hmm. the biggest thing for us uh, was that, you know, dad was struggling economically on the farm. And then just from their own personal experiences, uh, you know, uh, working through the health crisis in the family, just kind of got to the point where they weren't passionate about what they were doing um, on the farm anymore. So that's where they really turned a direction more towards regenerative. You know, the term regenerative wasn't even out there at that time, but we went down that path and there wasn't any goal of developing a direct marketing business. uh, But you know, Damien, you were talking about the direct marketing that you were doing with the quarters and halves of beef. We just kind of got families and friends that started asking us for some of our products and a direct marketing business started in the year 2000. So we did sell out of the, uh, the, the Pharaoh to finish hog business. Uh, it was right there. I think it was around 96. Yeah. Late um, 90s. Yeah. It was a really, it, that was the one timing thing. We, I think that worked well for us because the market really fell out a year after we sold all the hogs, but that yes, was, 
Yeah, that it's, was the thing, it's, it's the old thing. It's better to be lucky than good. Um, just so you know, dear listener or viewer, if you're wondering what they're alluding to, first off, Pharaoh to finish, if you're not a hog person, because remember, we have people that are in the cranberry business that listen to this. That means that they take mama sows, breed them, and uh, and then produce the piglets, and then take them all the way up until they get butchered and made into pork chops. So that's farrowing to finish. Anyway, if you're wondering what they're talking about timing and better to be lucky than good, uh, the, the Hitsfield boys can tell you they just decided to get out of the hog business in 96 in the conventional p- capacity. What happened one to three years after that? <laughs> well, the, I mean, the price, I, I forget what the price went down to 20 cents a pound, maybe seven, 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 okay. seven, I know. seven cents a pound for finished hogs. You couldn't, you couldn't truck them for what they would fetch at the market. Correct. Correct. So we were, we were very fortunate on that timing, but I just want to say it was a tough, I know for my parents, a very tough decision, everything they had invested in up until that point, we're talking 200 South. So there was a sizable amount of infrastructure that you just don't repurpose or liquidate. So that was, you know, and I think that's, that's the tough thing that, that, that we have in, in the farming, you know, farming is capital heavy, so it can be difficult to pivot and make changes and I, I just have to, you know, applaud my parents for being willing to, to, to make a pivot. And uh, timing-wise, it worked out good with the hog market. And timing-wise, it worked out really good with starting a direct marketing business in the year 2000. Yeah, so there you are. It's basically 20 years ago uh, or so. And really, the Internet exists. Uh, Amazon does, but nobody knows about it. So taking people back in time, the idea that you would go and buy a product, um, a steak or uh, whatever. Um, you wouldn't normally think of some Joe is just going to hop on their computer in um, Columbus, Ohio, and then buy a uh, hundred pounds of meat from somebody sight unseen on the internet. That was a really, it didn't happen. I mean, it does now, but it didn't 20 or so years ago. So kind of then your parents got out of the hog business and they said, we're going to do more and more of this pasture based production. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. Yep. Pasture-based production. So we downsized from that a thousand acres. Okay. The the farm at that time, my parents owned 20 acres, but they leased a lot of, a lot of ground. We basically downsized to only ground that's owned in the family, which was that 500 acres. So I always like to say we went from about a thousand acres to 500 acres back when we were a thousand acres, it it was a chore to support one full-time family. Mm -hmm. That was a struggle. Uh, fast forward to today, we're half the land, but there are about 25 full-time positions employed on our farm on that 25 acres. Just so your parents own 20 acres. Where, where, how'd you get from 20 to 500? Just cause I want to, I'm curious. It, it, it would grow over my, my grandfather bought a couple of farms. So we leased from him and then we bought some farms from him. So it's kind of just consolidated down to this 500 acres mm-hmm. uh, between all the family. So. All right. So Bryce, tell me what, tell me what happens on those 500 acres today. Then we're going to get into pasture poultry. What happens on those 500 acres today? How they yeah. Yep. So today we're running about, about two, about two, 250 head of uh, 100% grass fed cattle. Um, we have about 250 free range hogs that are rotated throughout primarily the woods. So of that 500 acres, about 200 of it are in woods. So the, uh, we're running primarily the, uh, the hogs through that. And then currently we're sitting, we have about 10,000 laying hens that are out on pasture in portable buildings in the warmer months. Now in the winter and the winter months here, we just pull, we move all the birds into these high tunnel greenhouses, these long 400 foot greenhouses that have roll up sides. They still have complete outdoor access. Um, but yeah, it's the, uh, 
So yeah, about 10,000 laying hens. And then we have about, oh boy, is it 30 head of bison? I think is uh, what my grandpa is running uh, on that 500 acres as well. So. Okay. So 500 acres that's wooded or pastured. Um, none of it's in your basic corn, soybean production, any of that stuff. Nope. It's all in some capacity grazing or pastured or woods property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's about a hundred acres of woods, the rest of it's uh, and perennial pasture. So is it one? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, those cows, the numbers on cows, but obviously those are brood cows having calves. And then you take the calves, you don't sell them uh, to stockers and finishers and, and feed yards. You take those calves and tell me about that operation. Well, we actually, I'm, I'm going to bump in here, Bryce. We actually transitioned uh, away from the, the cow-calf operation. We've worked with partners on that now. We bring in um, around 700-pound grass-fed calves, and we finish them by fall, early winter. On our, on so our you, are the, you are the finisher. Instead of doing it in a feed yard uh, method, you're doing it out there on grass. Correct. Yep. Correct. It's kind of the same thing with the lane hens as well. Like we, we used to actually raise day old chicks and bring them up to that 16 weeks or 16 to 17 weeks of age, right before they're about ready to lay their first egg. And now we've actually, we're working with some other growers, uh, one particular uh, grower, Moyers Chicks out in Pennsylvania. So we get all of our birds in as ready to lay pullets. So it's kind of the same, the same deal. And even with the, with the hogs as well. So with uh, Fairlane Hogs, we don't even do that anymore. We've contract, we contract that out to a few guys up in LaGrange. Uh, we do an awesome job there. So we primarily focus on the finishing and production side. By the way, LaGrange is code word for those of us from Northern Indiana, meaning those are Amish producers that then take these. And are they Berkshire spots, some sort of more uh, heritage breed? They're heritage breeds, heritage. about four or five different heritage breeds that we're working with. Uh-huh. Four or five different heritage breed hogs. And by the way, dear listener and viewer, heritage breed means essentially the breeds that uh, used to exist that sort of went away because they didn't fit the confinement, more mm-hmm. um, industrialized um, production model. And so now they're coming back and there are foodies and chefs. And I wrote about this in my book, Food Fear. If you have not picked up your copy of about the business of food and agriculture, you should pick up your copy of Food Fear. And uh, I talk about, for since Berkshires, a, a breed that kind of went away and now is exceedingly popular because the uh, chefs believe it has a better flavor profile. Okay, so you're bringing in now uh, uh, hogs that you're just saying, okay, we're not doing with the farrowing. We're going to take them when they're weaned. And you're bringing in 20 to 40 pound uh, feeder pigs, essentially, and then you're putting them into your system. You're doing the same thing now with laying hens. Uh, let somebody else uh, contract grow them from hatchling, fledgling up to yep. laying hen uh, age. <clears throat> which is what, about uh, six months? Right. So, yeah, that's about, uh, it's a little over four months, actually, okay. that the birds were getting in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a little over four-month-old birds you're bringing in, then they're ready to start laying. Um, then you do the same thing with cattle. All right, uh, you, you got a lot going on. Um, what's the... What's the division between the seven kids? I know that Bryce has his own now entrepreneurial venture on infrastructure and prod and products that he's selling, and you got all this other stuff. Who does what? So, sorry, Blaine. Yeah, so my brother Blake, the oldest, so he's actually one who manages and owns uh, the beef operation and the uh, the pork operation, and then the next brother down, Blaine. He handles all the uh, all the direct marketing. Um, so that's basically the, the that's the Seven Sons brand, uh, if you will. Then yeah, I handle uh, I have a small poultry equipment business on the side called Hengear, and then we also uh, 
I handle and manage the, uh, the egg processing as well. So, and that's all, and these are all separate companies as well. So Blake has his company, his company where, with the, with the cattle and the hogs, Blaine obviously has seven sons. That's the marketing fulfillment company. And then, yeah, I have the hen gear and then we have scrambled acres, which is the egg processing. Uh, and then you go down the line, you know, Brock actually, I believe helps out with a lot of our, a lot of even our podcasts and our, our, our video editing. And then we head down with Brooks, Brooks, heads up a lot of the, uh, the graze cart business that we talked about earlier there, which is our, our, our software, our e-commerce business as well. And then my brother, Bruce, uh, number six, he's the one that manages and owns the lane hens. And again, he has his own business there. So, so basically Bruce, he sells, you know, his eggs to seven sons, uh, Blake and Blake is obviously selling his beef and pork to seven sons choosing to do that. Um, so I say everything has to stand on its own two feet, my, uh, the youngest brother, Brant, he kind of handled, he works for seven sons handling the, the fulfillment side of it all and, or the fulfillment side of seven sons. And, uh, let's see then my, my dad is the primary landowner. My dad and my grandpa are primary landowners. So we're leasing and renting ground from them. And, uh, same thing with a lot of the buildings around here and, and, and the different pieces of so, so Damien, Damien, when you look at seven sons from the outside, it looks like it's all one business and, and we are we're, we have we're unified on the direction of our business the mission behind it but there's nine different llc's behind there with with you know multiple owners some of us are partners in the same businesses some of us are not but a, a big point i wanted to make here it takes a lot to get you know seven families working together on the same farm and one thing that we've done is we've, we've been very intentional about creating space one for individual different preferences on, on uh, quality of life, how hard everyone wants to work. You know, we're, we're accountable to our own businesses yeah. and we also get the reward uh, working hard on those businesses. So it creates that nice, healthy elbow room and uh, also keeps accounting pretty clean. So we don't, you know, we don't have one enterprise subsidizing another. Well, yeah, you know, we, we've been, all of us that grew up in it understand that there's these people that live in the suburbs like me out here in, in North Phoenix, Paradise Valley, Arizona, that half the year where I am, and they think it's all just, uh, you know, something out of old McDonald's farm. I'm like, uh, you know, first off, it's a lot more moving parts, a lot more technology, but also this idea that it's all... Um, there's been many a disagreement over who the hell was in charge of this entity and all that. So keeping things separate is very good. We'll come back and ask you uh, a bunch more questions, but I got to take this brief, brief time out to remind our listeners and our viewers that this episode of the business agriculture is brought to you by harvest profit, a software solution that works as hard for your agricultural enterprise as you work for your agricultural enterprise, Nick Horeb, smart entrepreneurial young man out of North Dakota founded Harvest Profit, not because he's a software guy, not because he's like some accounting genius, because he said, I see a need for a product that can help these ag people be more profitable. So it's a software solution that you can use and for your on-farm accounting, managing your farms, your inputs, your capital. You got millions of dollars of capital at risk. Why not manage it the way you should? Check out harvestprofit.com for a free 14-day trial. Okay. Pasture raised, first off, about the business entities, it's very smart you're keeping everything separated. And even then, there's probably still, once in a while, maybe a disagreement. Yes? There, there is, but it sure works a lot better when you have that independence, when you have that, that space. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it really comes down to 
and in life period, it's you're managing through conflicts that arise and manage through them. If your expectation is complete, uh, um, you know, conflict resolution, you're always going to be disappointed. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's creating that forgiveness. I know that we've done things where, uh, you can do certain things on a handshake, but then also with the, the person that farms my farmland, I said, we do these agreements. Uh, first off, if we ever had to, then we can, you know, dispute this because we have an agreement, but I said also let's always this way. We remember what you agreed to and what I agreed to. And that's why we do this because uh, good fences, keep good neighbors, good agreements, keep uh, good business relationships. Pasture raised meat, pasture raised eggs, pasture raised poultry, pork begins with pasture. Who the hell takes care of this on your operation? I heard a bunch of things that you guys all do. Who's in charge of the actual ingredient that starts it all? Again, that's that's where my older brother, Blake, he has excelled on on the production side um, of things. And we've all kind of been there helping from time to time throughout the years. Blake really heads up the farm operations. Um, but uh, Bryce, for a while, you were involved in the egg production, the pastured egg production. Bruce now handles all of those lane hens, 11,000 lane hens. So between Bruce and Blake, they, and that's something we really try to do because we are diversified, Damien. So that means, that means you can get, you know, you can have your focus divided very quickly if you're not careful. So there's where Blake and Bruce really have focused on the farm production side, do an incredible job. Uh, mm-hmm. It allows me to focus on the, the marketing side of things. You know, my job is they produce it and I've got to get it sold. And we have to have conversations about who, who maintains the risk you know, after a, a product is produced, we're, we're producing a product that we have more cost in more labor in. So uh, it really just doesn't work to, to take it to the auction barn if it doesn't sell, you know, right. and that's, that's part of it. It's, we do value added. We call it value added stacked enterprises where we're stacking enterprises on the same acre. But you know, a lot of farmers get into it thinking, all I got to do is stack these enterprises on the same acre and I'm adding value. No, you're actually just adding a liability. It only becomes value once it's sold to the right customer at the right price. At that moment in time, it becomes value. Before that, it's all liability. So this is something we learned the, the tough way. <laughs> so I was going to get into that about lessons learned. And I like this because, again, we, we're, we're talking about opportunities out here. And we know that this is a, a little different thing. You know, the person is driving their planter right now uh, through a 160-acre chunk of uh, ground in Nebraska saying, I don't know, man, it sounds like a lot of messing around. It, it is in you have to make more dollars per acre, obviously, than the person that's in their corn planter right now, because you've got more inputs of time, effort, capital, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you care to share with me what the dollars per acre are off of that? Well, I actually, we're just out in Pennsylvania and we, we were asked to give a presentation on the, the net value, the margin per acre. So it is, and this is, it's really increased over time um, as we build our customer base and as we've scaled the different enterprises, but we can run roughly 75 to 100 lane hens on one acre throughout the year. That's the carrying capacity. We can also run at least one steer on that same acre. And then we can run at least two hogs being rotated throughout the land, but um, or that one acre on a per year basis. So if you take that, all that value, we sell everything direct to the customer. Uh, we're, we have a net margin of around seven to $9,000 per acre when all those critters are on the same acre. Now we have 500 acres, 
Uh, we don't, you know, obviously the cattle and the hogs aren't in the, are in the woods as much. Yeah. So, but on, on average, we have about 150 acres that do see all of those animal units on top of them. And that's what, the, you know, and obviously we have more, uh, we have more labor in our model, uh, but we don't mind that we, we, we're getting enough value from the product. We're trading that um, efficiency labor with enough margin per acre to, to pay us all very well on, on the farm. So the thing about agriculture uh, that we all know, and we'll have Bryce comment on this, and then uh, I want to hear from both of you, of course, on this. I've been around this my entire life, and uh, I, I know how some of these ag people think. They think like producers, and they just, they, they almost can't stand the idea that somebody's making a nickel. So what do they always do? Well, son of a bitch, those Hitsfields, they're out there selling it for this. You know what we got to do? Let's do what they're doing and sell it cheaper. And I'm like, you ag people are the only people I know. And I've been around business. I worked in corporate America. You, you are the, the most willing to jump into something and give it away more than anybody I know. It's asinine. Are you being copied by people that have that mentality? <laughs> well, let's just go ahead and do what they're doing and do it for half price. Like, why? Why? Why do you want to give away margin? It's called business. You can make money. Tell me about it. What's going on? Yeah, I, I don't. Golly, Blaine. I mean, I guess, Blaine, you'd probably be better at this. And I don't. And are we really truly being copied, though, by folks in our industry, though? Like, try with that mentality, though, that's, that has not been the vibe or feeling I've gotten. Well, well it's always, it always looks easy. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, looking on, uh, looking on the outside and, and there's tons of people have gotten in and out of this and thought, man, if, if I could just sell it for, you know, a little, a little bit less than say seven sons, uh, I'll be able to capture the market. Yeah. The reality is uh, it's a lot of work to capture the trust of a customer mm -hmm. and uh, no one's giving away customers for free. I mean, it's, it's, it's a high value thing to earn the customer's business and you just find out it's not an easy thing to do. And you have to, you, you need to be able to capture those margins in order to build the business infrastructure. And I think that's what a lot of people find out. Um, and they find out that marketing's just, it's not as easy as what it, as what it, as what it seems on the, on the surface. So, and that's actually one of the things we learned is that, you know, you want to be careful before you start producing a bunch of value added products before you have put time into building a customer base. Um, but, you know, the great thing about what we do on the online marketing side of things is that you can start building your audiences um, before you have product ready, um, which is something we've, we've learned the hard way, but we, we also share with other farms. Get started yeah, marketing. I, I think that it's dead on. Um, uh, you got to be a salesperson. And so my 13 years of having my little beef operation, my niche beef operation, I, I worked at the sale, selling part of it. And I one time had somebody call me up and started whittling me on price. And I said, I said, you know what? I really think you ought to go to Walmart and buy the tube of uh, processed beef there. And yep. so where does this There is an expectation though that us, us there's this expectation though that um, farmers, uh, you know, that we, we can't, we can't be, uh, you know, there's a limit to how much profit we should be able to make on a per acre basis. Um, and we've really had to get over those coming from a, a commodity price background. Um, we, we under underpriced our product uh, getting started. And, um, and that was, that was a big mistake that, that we made. Um, it, there's just a lot of overheads in doing the type of business that we have. So. All right. This is a niche and uh, niches over time become commoditized. 
you know, you will be copied. And then others will say, well, I, you know, Cargill could say, we're going to just go ahead and do what Seven Sons is doing on 20 times that scale. And we're going to throw the money at it to do it. Does that happen? Do you think? I think it happens to every, like you just said, every niche in every industry over time. But the, we've always, from our perspective, um, and, and the reason that we have focused at Seven Sons, I and mean, we serve over 13,000 active customers. So if you look back at the last 12 months, we've served over 13,000 customers, and we have an individual relationship with those 13,000 customers. And what we really focus on doing is building and, and, and nurturing that trust. Because if there's one thing that can't be commoditized, it's things like trust, integrity. Um, those, those can't be commoditized. They can't be enforced. They can't be regulated. Trust can't, can't be regulated. It really can't. And so that's where we've really focused on going deep with building the customer relationship uh, using, you know, using social media, using email, using YouTube. That's how we've built that trust, even on a remote basis. Now we do a lot of things here to bring customers to the farm, but not all of our customers can make it here. And, and fortunately we're, we're leveraging the, the online marketing platforms to build that trust. And that's where we're focused when it comes, you know, when we look at the future, knowing that things like regenerative organic will be commodity. Organics already commoditized. The next will be this regenerative food movement that will be commoditized, but trust can't be. You know, I, I really like that. That's a good thing. And um, I want to, before we get into uh, Bryce's uh, uh, entrepreneurial venture, because remember, uh, dear listener and viewer, the one thing that you can't do is you can't sit still. You got to always say, we're going to move into this direction. We're going to experiment with this. We're going to, you know, and especially, you know, mothers, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention. You got seven kids there that uh, want to be in this entity. All seven are in, right? All seven are in. Seven. You talked about trust. You also said previously, Blaine, when we were talking about this, the one thing that you also um, saw happen now that there is a customer that 25 years ago wouldn't just log on to an internet website and spend, you know, swipe their credit card for food. You know, it's one thing like, yeah, okay, I'll buy a book online, hence Amazon's beginnings. Or then it was, I'll buy a set of sneakers online. But by God, it wasn't going to be something you ingest. You still went to the store or the market, even a farmer's market for that. So you talked about a thing called a convenience gap. And I think that's really an interesting concept because the person that's out here in ag usually thinks like a producer, but the consumer doesn't give, frankly, two hoots in hell about the producer's mindset. Uh, yeah, they might say, I want to know how it was raised, but what do they really want? And that's where you talk, you keyed into it. Trust and? Trust. And well, there's, there's three things. When we look at, if we're going to be successful at connecting with a customer, we need to have a, we need to compete in the economy of quality the economy of trust, but then the one that us farmers completely fail on is the economy of, of convenience, okay? So that's where we recognize that if we're going to be successful, we have to close that, that convenience gap because uh, there is so much opportunity for a farmer and all kinds, no matter how they're marketing their product and what protocols they're following, there's, there, it's pretty easy to, to increase your quality, a cut above whatever's on the commodity, whatever is at Walmart's, you know, on Walmart's shelf. You can do that. That's that's part of what you do. You can add quality. And just because you're a farmer and you're starting a direct marketing business selling locally, you're just going to have a trust factor that's already built in. But uh, what a lot of farms don't realize is to be successful, you also have to close that convenience gap. 
So, and that's, and I'm seeing online, all kinds of food companies selling things, niche products like grass fed beef, and they're, they're being very successful. These food companies are really, they're just digital marketing companies selling a, a niche product. The reason they are succeeding online is because they are closing that convenience gap. So. Yeah, I, 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 I'm glad it came from you. These people that keep up with my stuff and that read my books know that I have, uh, and you know, Put it out there. Put it out. These people that read my books know that I talk a lot about this, that, you know, we've got production down, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, we still didn't, but starting hundred years ago, by golly, hybridization of seed mechanization, chemistry, et cetera, et cetera. By God, we got really good at production. Now let's realize what's next. And it's going to be story of, of production. It's going to be a niche. It's going to be a food that speaks to me that, uh, you know, whatever. And then, Convenience. I agree with you. Quality, trust, and convenience, three tenets of the thing. Bryce is sitting here saying, like a lot of us, huh, yeah, oldest brother gets to walk into this thing. Second oldest brother gets to walk into this thing. What the hell is there for me? So he sees this need because he's growing the pasture-raised pins and he's doing pasture-raised eggs. And, you know, Typical middle child out here. Yeah, just go take care of stuff, Bryce. Let's do the thinking. And then he comes up with this product called Hen Gear. Talk to me. Yeah, yeah. So that was about, well, that was probably 15 years ago when we first got into the lane hens. And, and they, again, that, dear, dear listener, the hens are out here. They're past, but they're really not. Okay. They're not in the pasture all the time because they get eaten by hogs. Real quickly, tell them what happens. That way it sort of sets up the product you created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, they are out on pasture in portal and portable buildings. We are using electrified fencing that, you know, it's just temporary fencing that surround our buildings. Um, for example, our, our current, uh, building that we're using now is like a 20 by 48 on skids. That's, that's moved every day. You know, and the birds have full outdoor access and those buildings, they basically just have their main essentials like water feed water, and then their nesting boxes. And, uh, so yeah, those buildings are moved every day along with the fencing, but back. And by the way, the hens usually come in at night so they don't yes. get eaten by coyotes, right? Yep. And we have solar lighting the whole nine yards and we have guard dogs, um, or great Pyrenees guard dogs that, that keep away the, the nighttime predators, especially, but, uh, so good against yeah, so owls, though. I never seen a great Pyrenees uh, take to air against an owl. So the, uh, the yeah, so they're, they're patrolling that as well. Yep. And we, in the past we've used, uh, geese as well they do a great job of keeping away the, the hawks um but yeah actually the dogs though have been kind of the new the new uh the new deal that's worked out very well for us all right so, so you mentioned a word there that uh some of our folks are like what do you mean nesting boxes because they don't just hang out in their nest what else happens when these hens go into the nesting boxes they 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 are laying their eggs yep so that's when they, that's, i'm sorry you're selling eggs obviously yeah we're obviously selling eggs you gotta you gotta be able to sell a clean unbroken egg so at least when we first started, um, you know, there was this big gap between, you know, the, the small backyarder and the small poultry farmer uh, versus, you know, with compared to the, the, the conventional guys when it came to equipment. So, you know, at that time, at that time, you virtually had to build a lot of your own nesting boxes out of wood or steel. They were just basic individual boxes that a hen could go in. You had straw or some, some form of bedding in the box and hen goes in, lays her eggs and, the issue with that was that you get a lot of, you know, with a lot of traffic of hens going in and out, you get a lot of broken eggs. Um, 
you know, the eggs would get really dirty, the whole nine yards. And again, you cannot sell that. And if you're going to spend time washing, you're going to spend a lot of time washing those eggs. So, and obviously the, the, you know, the, the, the conventional, uh, poultry operations, you know, they've, they've had this equipment for years, um, you know, roll out nesting boxes, the designs where, you know, the floors are sloped, eggs roll down onto a conveyor belt or into a separate compartment to keep them safe, the whole nine yards there. And, uh, so virtually what we did, we set out to, uh, we, we set out to come up with our own nesting box that resembled a lot, you know, to, to help bridge that gap, if you will. Um, so we partnered with a local manufacturer here and, uh, took us several years to kind of come up with, we were, you know, what, what we needed. And, uh, um, so it wasn't long, you know, we were having farms coming out and visiting and seeing our nesting boxes and even our coops as well. There wasn't really, at that time, our portable buildings were old semi-trailers that we converted into chicken houses, you know, pulled around throughout the pasture every day. There very, wasn't any- pretty, very pretty, very picturesque. Oh, man. Beautiful pasture ornaments. What the high-end consumer wants to see is that oh. their hens and their eggs are coming from, uh, you know, an old roadway freight uh, hauling yes. uh, semi-trailer being dragged around the mud by an old John Deere. That's exactly Go- what the Goofy is all get out. So, yeah, so there wasn't, there wasn't really anything out there. Um, uh, for laying hens that were efficient, uh, you know, on pasture. And so we actually, uh, we realized that the, that really the, the produce world was starting to come out with these, uh, greenhouses on skids. And there was actually a few, we saw a few other small guys, uh, trying these out with laying hens. We're like, you know, let's partner with a manufacturer there and try to come up with something that was, that was, you know, strong and robust. that could handle the rough terrain, and, uh, so yeah, that was the next thing we went into as well with our, with our chicken houses. So again, you know, it took us several years to, to come up with all this and, uh, we started having, you know, farmers come out visiting and wanting to, you know, like, Hey, can you get us, can you get us some of these nesting boxes or even these chicken coops? Oh, sure. We'll go ahead. Yeah. Do that. And, uh, that just really started to take off. So in December of 2017 is when we launched the hang gear website. And that is when it exploded <laughs> within that first year we had about a thousand percent increase in sales at that first year alone. And, uh, um, you know, so I actually, during that process, that time period there is when I transitioned out of the lane hens and handed that over to my brother, Bruce, who now manages that. And he can continue to grow that the whole nine yards. And, uh, so I focus primarily now on the hen gear, um, you know, selling those direct chicken coops and, and boxes and a more efficient, effective way to still be organic, still be pasture raised, whatever you want to do, but it's Mm a more, it's, it's modernizing what could have been an antiquated system or worse yet an ugly ass system where you're using old roadway free hauling trucks. Yeah. And, you know, tried to make it affordable because at that time, at that time, you know, you, you know, the small guys could not afford a lot of this really, you know, this, this nice equipment that the, 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 the convention guys. Had. One thing that I think you've done well with the hen gear business is you've really merged. You've taken, you've taken the innovations that, you know, mm-hmm. the, the industrial system has come up with. So yeah. really cool innovations, scale them down to a level that works for a farm that that's more our scale between a thousand to 10,000 hens. And of course, you didn't realize it, but you also created a product that these backyarders and homesteaders backyarders, right. really wanted as well. And that became like a, a market segment you didn't even see coming. That's really mm-hmm. probably become the biggest market segment. Yeah. You've set up what about 7,000 farms and backyarders with yep. these 
Yes, yeah, over over seven thousand customers right now. Seven thousand customers you set up with. Uh, so if, if a person listening to this right now says, "I want fifty birds," you got a system for them. If they say, "I want five thousand, you got a system for them. Yes. Yep. Hen gear. Hen gear. Yep. Hengear.com. Hengear.com. Um, where's all this go? Where's Seven Sons go? Where's Hin Gear go? Where does, uh, you've got another thing, Gray's Cart, another neat innovation you came up with. Tell me about that, Blaine. Yeah, so Gray's Cart was, uh, was a result of trying to, trying to merge uh, online e-commerce with food products, items that weigh, you know, Chuck Roast doesn't weigh the same when you get back from the butcher, trying to merge a regional online food business uh, with the typical e-commerce solutions that are out there was really difficult for us. So, about six years ago, we hired a developer and started building our own e-commerce system built for our business. About two years into it, kind of like Hengear, we got farms asking, hey, I, I need a website solution just like you guys have. Um, so we made a step and, and we basically turned our e-commerce, custom e-commerce system into what's called a SaaS business so that we can just hit a button and click duplicate and it duplicates the entire e-commerce system on a new server. And so we license our e-commerce system now to about 450 direct marketing farms, and some of them are just food companies. And we've got butcher shops in Philadelphia. We've got grocery stores, small independent grocery stores using this food e-commerce system that just solves three or four critical problems that out-of-the-box e-commerce software hasn't solved yet. So uh, that's that's a whole new venture that's just happened in the last four years. Well, so. I, I think it's, I, again, I had you on because I know it's an interesting story. I think that a lot of my listeners and viewers are like going, hey, man, this is some really good stuff. I, I know that I like, well, another one of my books I got to tout, my, my book for entrepreneurs and business people. I talked great length about make sure that you always are not paying attention to your competition, looking at ways people are doing stuff and saying, not copying it, but what what did they just give me inspiration for that I could probably be doing? And that's why I think it's neat about this. Gray's cart, incidentally, not like Gray's anatomy, Gray's like an animal out on pasture, Gray's cart. Yes. And right. they can find that. What questions did I not ask you to uh, that I should have asked? Bryce, what, what should I have asked? What, what, are we, what do we not cover that you think we should have covered? You know what, I guess, um, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, on the uh, poultry side or on the poultry equipment side, I would have to say uh, innovation, you know, trying to keep up, um, you know, because in the last last few years, you know, we're starting to see it's getting a little noisy. You're starting to see uh, some other guys coming in, you know, doing sort of same same deal. So, like, what can we be doing to, uh, you know, con- to continue is this 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 innovative idea i guess of uh coming up with better equipment and such so that's that is uh yeah that's the kind of question i like to be uh asked is what is it we can be doing differently to keep keep coming up with new new ideas you know new products make things easier and better for the customer mm-hmm. and that's where we've been in a position both on the on the software side and the equipment side with what bryce is doing is that we're in the business as well and so uh, we're always we're always looking for that next problem that we can solve and next way that we can innovate, make ourselves just a step above the competition. And then and then we take those innovations, whether it's through Hengear or even an e-commerce software like Grace Cart, um, and we share those with others. And that keeps us continuing, you know, pushing the curve on innovation. As you, you can probably tell, we just love to do new things and try new things. It's one of our actually probably you talk about things we should we should mention. Some of the mistakes that we've made, Damien, uh, has been 
diversifying over diversifying. So uh, we, we have a term for it. It's called death by diversity. And we came from that commodity conventional background where things were so, you know, it was just monoculture. We, you know, we planted corn and soybeans and we had a fail to finish hog operation. And we had one customer, Tyson Foods, that we sold the, the hogs to. Right. And so, um, uh, and so as, we, as we ventured into regenerative agriculture, we saw all these opportunities and we very quickly over diversified and spread ourselves too thin. There's a balance there. And I almost see every farm that follows similar paths that we go, that we went down, make that same mistake is over diversifying. And they're, they're just not focused enough. And, um, and that, that can get you discouraged. It's, it's a challenge because we talk about it, you know, agriculture used to be a hundred years ago, every farming operation had everything. You had the, the turkeys and the chickens and the hogs and the, and it grew oats, which nobody does anymore. You know, it was everything. And then it became specialized because that's how you stay in business. You get really damn good at growing two things, producing one thing, whatever. And, um, then it's like, okay, man, I'm not big enough to be of scale at a commodity level. So I got to do some more diversification. And then it's the old thing, even in my business, which, uh, you know, whether it's delivering presentations and writing books, I, I don't want to be everything to all people. I'm an ag and business guy. I, you, you want somebody to come in and talk to you about um, uh, leadership and training your uh, troops. That, that's not me, you know, so it's the old thing. You can't be everything to everybody, but you've always got to fail a little bit. I mean, uh, I think you do this thing. It's like, what do we learn? Which brings me to the last thing, lessons, takeaways, ideas. Rapid fire before we close out here, Bryce, lessons, takeaways, ideas, some young guy like you in agriculture was to share with all of our listeners and viewers. Yeah. So, you know, on the, you know, I want to speak specifically to like production with lane hens, you know, we touched a lot on this, that death by, by diversity. So trying to stay, you know, being focused, um, trying to stay focused. So again, I shared some examples of, of, you know, raising ready to lay pullets. That was some, that was a big one that we learned, um, you know, you know, getting out of that side of it. Cause you know, raising Dale chicks was just, it was a nightmare trying to do on operation. It's a whole nother volume. Let's let the professionals do that, uh, feed, you know, like the, the, the chicken feed, we, we have our own mill here, you know, we were grinding our own feed, the whole nine yards. And it was just, it was, uh, you know, as you know, you know, it, there's a lot of details that go into to, to milling feed. So, and, you know, we're not professionals at that either. Um, so that was another area that we had to shay off. So constantly trying to figure out, you know, the, the areas of focus where you can, uh, you know, where your time can be better served and, uh, you know, just figure out more efficient ways of, of doing things. So that's probably the biggest thing on, you know, on the poultry side is just trying to, 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 to focus. <laughs> Do, do a lot of stuff, but also farm out what you're really not good at. That doesn't right, exactly. Uh, we, have a, we have a little thing that we say around the farm and that's know what you know, know what you don't know and know who knows what you don't. And mm -hmm. so we've really applied that to all aspects of, of our business and building our, building our little team here on, on the farm. Know what you know, know what you don't know. And know who knows what you don't. Yeah, there you go. I like it. All right. Uh, seven sons. If they want to check out seven sons.com, is that it? Yes. Uh, seven sons.net actually. I think seven Tom takes it to the same net. place. Maybe. So, 
go there and check out. You can find Blaine and Bryce and the other 50 T people in their family that are all begin with the name B, the letter B, I'm sorry. Um, uh, this episode of the Business of Agriculture, once again, brought to you by Harvest Profit, a software solution for your agricultural enterprise. You got all kinds of dollars at risk. You got different things in play. For God's sakes, get a software solution that can handle your accounting, manage all of your inputs and your outputs, and manage it like a business. You're past the point of doing this on a on a seed corn uh, notepad in the glove compartment of your truck, right? Go to harvestprofit.com for your free 14-day trial. Blaine and Bryce Hitchfield, thanks for being here. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Also, dear listeners, again, please subscribe and uh, and share this with your non-ag friends. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of the business of agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.